0: you for sharing part of your story with us, that uh, there's something powerful that happens when when you serve others, especially people maybe who are struggling more than you, having to trust God in some pretty difficult or extreme ways, and I love how God reconnected her and just poured within her a fresh faith for her own life and an ability to trust God through that particular journey. Well, we're launching a new series uh, today, and it's called "Be Rich." And it comes from a passage found in First Timothy chapter 6 verse 17, where the Apostle Paul was speaking to his protege, uh, this young man by the name of Timothy. And uh, I, I want to challenge us each through each one of these series. the series comes from Andy Stanley. And each Sunday, I want to challenge us with a challenge. and today, I'll make no secret of it. I'm going to ask us to serve outside the walls of this church and serve our community in some way, whether it's with truth ministry like Brenda was there or one of the other ministries that I'll mention later. Well, here's what the scripture says. If you have a Bible, you can open it uh, to 1 Timothy chapter 6, verse 17. Otherwise, we'll have it up here on the screen. And here's what Paul told Timothy. He said, command those who are rich in this present world. Now, Let me just start with the basics here. Who was this written towards? Who's the audience? I'll give you a hint, it's in yellow. (laughs) The rich, yeah. That that these instructions, this command was given to the rich and you say, so who was this written to? And most of us would go, well, I don't know, not me. Um, Somebody else, right? Whenever you read the word rich in the scripture, We often disqualify ourselves and think, oh, it must have been like Bill Gates or Warren Buffett or somebody other than me. But who's he talking to? I think he's talking to all of us. Paul was writing to Timothy and he wasn't trying to make rich people feel bad. Matter of fact, he was trying to help rich people be good at being rich. You See, as Americans, we are rich. We are richer than we know. We're richer than we think. We're definitely richer than we feel. The average income in Spokane is $47,000. And if you make that, you are in the global elite of the world. You are literally in the top 1% of the world. Most of the world, the the majority of the world, lives on a dollar a day. Matter of fact, if you... Even make 20000 a year. Over your lifetime of working, you will have had a million dollars go through your hands. You see, we don't feel rich, but we are a lot richer than we think. Rich is relative, isn't it? So when Paul writes to Timothy, command those who are rich in this present world, he's saying, Timothy, look, when you talk to those who have been well-resourced, when you talk to rich people, Uh, Rich people can have issues, right? Have you ever met a kind of an odd rich person? You don't have to be odd. Matter of fact, uh, I don't want you to be odd. So what we want to do in this series is teach us how to be rich. How to be good at being rich. And even if you're not, it's okay. One day maybe you will be. Matter of fact, I'm praying that you will be. And when you are, you'll be really good at it. And the reason we know that most Americans are not very good at being rich is because the statistics and the research proves and shows that the richer you become, the less you give. The richer Americans become, the less they give. No, they give a larger dollar amount, but Jesus doesn't care about dollar amounts. He cares about percentages. He cares about what it represents from that person. and what. What the, what the statistics show is that, the, that uh, rich people give half the percentage of poorer people. Isn't that amazing? You would think, man, the richer I get, and of course we tell ourselves this all the time, don't we? You oh, know, man, if I had more, I would be the most generous person on the planet. You know, that's what we tell ourselves. But, but the statistics show that the exact opposite is true. And, and that's what I want to talk a little about today is that wealth has side effects. For example, one of the side effects of wealth is that rich people live in denial. Now, this is strange, isn't it? I I think it's kind of strange because tall people, they're they're glad to admit that they're tall. Short people will say they're they're short. Athletic people will tell you they're athletic. Artsy people, you know, their rooms are a mess, their cars are a mess, their lives are a mess. They're just happy and they don't mind telling you. (laughs) Introverts, you know, they don't mind telling you that they're introverts. extroverts nobody needs to be told. But when it comes to rich people, I mean, they don't, uh, they don't admit that they're rich and they live in denial and this is a big deal because what the Gallup uh, surveyors found uh, not too long ago, they were asking, what does it take to be rich? And the average American said it took $150,000 to be rich. Yeah, that makes sense. But then when they went and asked the same people who made $150,000, you know what they said? They need $300,000 to be rich. And then they, they surveyed people who made 30 to 35,000 and said what, what, what's rich? And those people said 70 75,000 a year and then I would be rich. In other words, twice as much as you have today, right? That would make you rich. So the good news is, you're twice as rich as somebody else. <laughs> so you're rich. Now here's kind of the bottom line. Nobody really thinks that they're rich. Nobody But everybody knows somebody who is, right? And that's kind of how this whole thing works because somewhere there's this imaginary line that one day you kind of cross it and you don't know it, but everybody else does. And here's the problem. The problem is is that when we don't admit what God has entrusted to us and what we actually have, then we don't know how to act as a person of resource. Or we don't know how to act when we become that, when we actually have more than we do today. Now, most of us, we don't feel rich. We don't think we're rich. And one of the reasons for that is we spend every dime that we make, right? So we have no margin, and therefore we never feel like we're resourced. That's a different message. Now, the other side effect of outside of denial is also this. This might surprise you that rich people live, they're plagued with, the sense of continual discontentment. Now, I don't know if you'll believe what I'm about to say, but um, maybe you know somebody like this. You see, stuff accumulates. And stuff, have you ever helped someone move before? And, and when they're unpacking, everybody does it, I've done that. Anybody who's having other people help them move always says it. I don't know where all this stuff came from. It's like like it was in the garage, like rabbits multiplying. or something. I, I have no idea. And we, we tend to accumulate stuff and it just grows and it multiplies. And our appetite for stuff grows with it. It's kind of like food. I don't know what your favorite food is, but one of the things I got to be really careful not to keep in my freezer is ice cream. I love ice cream. And if someone dole, you know, doles me out a little bowl, I, I just want more. The more I have, the more I want until I'm sick. And When you have an appetite and you feed that appetite, it grows. And when you you starve that appetite, then it shrinks, right? Now, here's why that's important. Because rich people have stuff and collect more stuff. They have stuff and they collect more stuff. And that appetite for stuff just grows and grows. The more a person has, the more a person wants. So rich people do this very strange thing, maybe you've heard of it, it's called upgrade. You know, you can have something that's perfectly good, it works, your car works, whatever it is, but you do an upgrade. Have, have you ever seen that happen? Maybe you don't, not for you, but you know maybe a rich person who does this and you have the iPhone 4 and then you need the iPhone 5, right? And then you get the 5 and then you want the 6 and now those of us who have the 6, what are you thinking about? You're thinking about the seven, right? Because the six just doesn't quite measure up. So you give the six to your kid or something. I mean, we do that. We do that with houses. We do it with cars. We do it with clothes. We do it with phones. We do it with everything that we have. We're always upgrading. We're really good at that. Or maybe, maybe you know a rich person like this. Uh, you have a full closet of clothes, but you stand in front of all your clothes and you go, I have nothing <laughs> to wear, right? Now, is that true? The truth is you have work clothes, workout clothes, after work clothes, work in the yard clothes. It's laughable, isn't it? I mean, I know some rich women who actually have 10 or 11 pairs of shoes. I mean, what are you gonna do with 11 pairs of shoes? You only wear one pair at a time. But then those same people, they'll be in the store. What are they buying? More shoes. And here's the final thing. I don't want you to fall into this trap if you ever become rich. Rich people gather up stuff that they don't use. It's working fine, it's not broke, it's not damaged. And they gather it all up and they box it up and they bring it down and they give it away and they donate it in order to make room for more stuff. Stuff they could have used. And they even have have houses for their cars. Rich people do. I mean, a house, like a place to Put your car, it's own little house for the car. It's just amazing. There are all kinds of side effects to wealth. This letter that the apostle Paul wrote to uh, Timothy, he goes right to the heart of the matter, right to the very issue and he says this, command those who are rich in this present world not to be arrogant, not to be arrogant. Command means to instruct. And so he's saying, teach them how to be good at being rich. Teach them how to be good. And one of the first things that's a danger for anybody of resource is that we can become arrogant and not even know it. Arrogance is that thing where we think that we we look at what we have and then we run across somebody that has so much less, somebody whose life maybe is in shambles or living on the street or whatever, and we think, man, I worked hard for what I have. Or it's because of my talents, or my energies, or my, my, my stick to it or whatever it is, and we, we, we can very easily project ourselves above other people. He's saying, be careful, because that's a real danger for anybody of resource, anybody that is rich. Be careful. Don't become arrogant. And he says, command those who are rich in this present world not to be arrogant, nor put their hope, nor put their hope in the uncertainty of riches. Now, this is a big deal, and here's what he's saying. He's saying that the more that you have and the more that you get, so when you get the promotion, you get the higher pay, you get the second income coming into your family, when you get the bonus, whatever it is, that what happens is, you don't mean for it to happen, you don't make a conscious decision for this to happen, but what happens is we begin to allow our hope to migrate towards stuff, towards wealth. It's the migration of hope. And your hope begins to migrate towards the accumulation of wealth. And Paul is saying, look, warn those rich people. Don't let their hope migrate. The writer of Proverbs, one of the richest people who've ever lived, who wrote this, he said it this way. He said in Proverbs 18, verse 11, he said, the wealth of the rich is their fortified city. They imagine It is a wall too high to scale. You know what he's saying? I love the word imagine because that's exactly what it is. It's an illusion. It's a pipe dream that if I have enough wealth, then I'm building this unscalable wall around my life that I will be safe in my future. My future will be secured. Life can't get to me. I'll be protected. And so our hope begins to migrate in our savings account or in our stuff or in our home or the things that we've amassed and we begin to think that it's going to protect us more than it actually does. I mean is there really an amount that you can have that's gonna protect you from all of the hardships of this life? And all the uncertainty of our economy? (laughs) Of course not, but we imagine that there is. And so he's saying, be careful. When wealth becomes your hope, you feel compelled to hoard. That's what happens. It just happens. I mean, there'll never be enough. It never feels like there's quite enough. And we're always trying to build this unscalable wall around our lives. He says, don't let your hands grow so tight around your stuff. Don't let your hope migrate. Paul goes on and he says this, not to be arrogant nor to put their hope in wealth, which is so uncertain, but to put their hope in God. He's teaching us how to be good at, people of re- at being people of resource. Now, here's what's amazing. Sometimes people are critical of pastors. Why are they always talking about money? You know, I'll tell you why. Because Jesus always talked about it. That's why, read the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. And what you'll notice is he doesn't talk that much about heaven and hell, but he talks a lot about money. And the reason that he does is because he knows that's where our heart gravitates to. The reason that Jesus talks so much about it is because he knows that that's what we deal with and think about on a daily basis, multiple times a day. And the chief competitor of God is not Satan. It's not like, do I serve God or do I serve Satan? That's not what you're wondering. That's not what most people are wondering. Jesus said, where your heart is, that's where your treasure will be. Where your treasure is, that's where your heart is. And he's saying, I want your heart. The issue is, where is your heart? And Jesus knows that if I get your treasure, then your heart will follow. One of the things that we struggle to do is to trust God in this area of our lives. And so our hearts are stay wrapped up around our stuff. And God's just saying, trust me, trust me. You'll either serve money or you'll serve God. And there's a tension between the two. Now in, in, in uh, that verse 17, he says, tell them, put their hope in God who richly provides us with everything for surprise, Enjoyment, our enjoyment. Isn't that great news? That means you can get that iPhone that you've been wanting. You can give all your stuff away. You can keep your car in his little house. You don't have to put your hope in stuff. You can put your hope in God. And God allows us to enjoy things. I love that. I love that. That God is the provider why would i put my hope in provision when i can put my hope in the provider who richly provides all things for our enjoyment i love that you look at god and you look at the fact that he gave his only son on the cross that he gave you something before you ever gave him anything that you can't outgive god god is the biggest giver in the universe. And he says, put your hope in me. I'm the provider. Don't put your hope in provisions. Put your hope in the provider who richly provides. So here's the summary. Don't be arrogant. Don't put your hope in wealth. Put your hope in God who richly provides. So the question is this. Has your hope migrated? Has your hope migrated away? And it does that without asking permission. It does that without a conscious decision on your part. But what happens is, is we begin to think about what we don't have or we think about what we do have and our hope can get mingled, migrated towards that. And God says, trust me. Trust me. I'm the God that can fill your cup over and over and over again. I often think in my own life there's times when I feel like I'm trusting God and there are times when I just feel like, you know, I've stagnated. I grow to a certain point in the area of my generosity or I grow to a certain point in the area of my trust. And I, it's like I'm stuck on hold in that place. And I feel like God is calling us to trust him, trust him in a new way, Him. Finally, verse 18, and I'll wrap it up here. Verse 18, Paul's saying, okay, I want to I teach them how to be good at being rich. And he says, command them to do good, to be rich in good deeds, and to be generous and willing to share. So we're going to practice that today. And the way we're going to practice that is by being rich in good deeds, because that's part of it. He's saying that, that, that those, those who are rich, be especially good at good deeds, being rich in those. That's where we got the title from, Be Rich in Good Deeds, and to be generous and willing to share. And we'll talk more about that next week. But we've been praying, we've been fasting for this series. We've been asking God, give us a breakthrough in this area of our ability to trust you, God. Give us a breakthrough in the area of our provisions. Give us a breakthrough in our ability to impact our city. Nothing is more powerful than than when a church like this, and there's something powerful in a church of our size that if we will take what God has entrusted to us and we'll turn it towards blessing others. What a great statement that makes in the kingdom. Whether people believe in God or not, we want everybody to know they matter to God. Whether people respond to God or believe in the claims of Christ or not, we want people to know the God who richly blesses us in all kinds of ways. So I wanna give us an opportunity to do that, to get outside the walls of the church and to serve our community in a couple different ways. So let me explain those to you. We're gonna do it together. It'll be in a couple weeks on a Saturday, a couple weeks from today. There's four different kind of options that we uh, did. And the reason that we picked these are, these are things that we've already been su- supporting and serving all year long. It's not just a one-time deal. Um, and we partner with, uh, with, the, with these different um, organizations and, uh, and so we want, we want today, though, to highlight it a little more. The first one is this, Evergreen Elementary, right down the hill from us, just a couple of hundred yards away from, from this building. We want to uh, go there and bless them. They, uh, of course, serve kids, right? We love kids. And uh, Evergreen is one of the neediest uh, schools, elementary schools in the entire Mead District. and. Um, and so they have various needs, but the one that the principal said that he could use some help with is uh, their outside grounds. They have an environmental area where they have a community garden and some other things where kids can interact with nature. And so we're gonna go there in a couple weeks and help them get that ready for the winter. And so you could bring some rakes or gloves, pruning chairs, whatever, and uh, we're, gonna, we're gonna be honored to serve the school, one of our great public schools in the area. All right, another option is truth ministries truth ministries is the one that you saw brenda serving at and uh the faith this is a faith-based walk-in facility serving homeless men they serve 5,000 high high-risk homeless men annually and uh this especially during the winter when it gets cold it's a place a warm place where uh where men can go and get off the street and have a warm meal hear about the gospel uh, be cared for in a safe place and Truth ministry uh, often reaches out to those that are often rejected by other agencies. Uh, they're young people, older, elderly people, all kinds of guys, and these are f- frequently chemically uh, addicted people or alcoholic or mentally ill individuals. They might have social uh, issues or they might have the inability to, with skills to, to get employment. And so as uh, rooted groups, we have partnered with Truth uh, ministries through, throughout the last couple years, and it's been a wonderful, powerful experience. So we want to help them just kind of improve their facility, clean it up, do some deep cleaning. And so this is really not so much working with the men that they serve on this particular one. That this is just going in and making it a, a, a cleaner, better, uh, ready place to receive guys during the winter. So that will be another opportunity. And then UGM, Union Gospel Mission. That's another one we partner with throughout the year. We've had a lot of rooted groups do that. And uh, Union Gospel Mission is a faith-based organization here in our community. They are doing a phenomenal job, not just with immediate emergency relief, but also in the rehabilitation of people's lives. Uh, They serve over a 1,000 meals per day, reaching out to women and men and children. And uh, they have Uh, they have uh, a program helping men and women get their GEDs uh, to gain job experience. They have partnered with 90 different employers in town. Uh, They're helping with counseling and vision and medical and legal and vet services and 365 days a year they hold a church service for the guys and the gals and the the people that uh, participate in Union Gospel Mission. It's a phenomenal ministry and uh, so we want to help them in their new women's shelter. They uh, are actually moving. They've had it on Sprague Avenue, and now they have a new facility on Illinois. And so they're getting it ready to open. And it's gonna be a phenomenal facility to reach out to and and help uh, women and children who are in our community who are in in those places of of extreme difficulty. So we'll just go in and help them with their yard, cleaning it up. That's where they'll fellowship and kids will play. And we're gonna help them get that ready for their grand opening. And then lastly, Serve Spokane. We started Serve Spokane uh, a decade ago with a simple mission, to be the hands and the feet of Jesus in our community. Serve Spokane is one of the largest food distribution warehouses on the north side, serving 1,400 people monthly. And uh, so it's a great, it's right here on our campus, and uh, we would love to help participate in, and again, helping, with some practical things to get the facility ready uh, for the needs that are there. So we'll do some cleanup, we'll do some remodeling and uh, do some organizing and so forth. So those are the ministries, those four different ministries and if you have a card you'll notice that there's a little green, a different balloon on each one. Green, yellow, red, blue Um, and so the red one, Union Gospel Mission, it's already filled up. We filled it up at the last service but we have a lot of space. Well, we do have space. I wouldn't say a lot, but we have space in these others. And I want to encourage you to go out into the lobby directly after this service here in just a moment and go to one of those and pick one of those. The Truth Ministries, Search Pocan, or Evergreen Elementary. And we'll do it as a team. We'll sign up together. We'll do it together. And it's one of the ways that we, we can show God's love in a practical way. God's extravagant generosity towards us? Why do, we, why do we do things like that? Is it just to be good people? Why do we do things? Why would a church go and serve the community? Why would a church give towards the community? The reason why is because God has been so rich in his goodness towards us. That he has done so much for us. That He saved us by his grace. He's loved us. He's poured out his, his blood on the cross, he initiated his love by coming to us and he provides all things for our enjoyment. God is so good. That's why we reach out. That's why we do It's because we want to represent the very heart of God to our community. So I want to ask you to pick one of those. Sign up for one of those and uh, this is going to be a great series. Make sure and come back next week. We're going to continue to let God teach us how to be people of resource. God, thank you for this morning. We pray, Lord, would you help us to continue to grow in our trust for you, that our hope would not migrate to stuff, things, savings accounts, and money, but our hope, God, would be so rooted in the one who provides richly for us. We thank you, Lord. Help us be your hands and feet in our community, revealing the greatness of your name. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, ready, set, go. Sign up. Have a great day.